Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to a Superbloom podcast. You want to know what my favorite thing in the whole world, well, one of my favorite things in the whole world is when you get a new book because your friend told you to get that book and then you really like the book and then you got to go on like a trip or you like walk down to a coffee shop or like decide to like go get breakfast for a minute and then you walk out into the world and you pull out to read that book and then you look up and you notice someone at in the airplane at that cafe or walking down the street carrying holding reading that exact same book and then you both look at each other with that knowing look in your eye going oh my gosh what part are you at and then you start talking about the characters and where you're at and and what you think is going to happen and what you hope doesn't happen but what you secretly really really want to happen i love that it is my favorite part about reading is also not only sitting there and enjoying the book and the story for myself, but then also anyone else I know who who reads the exact same book and then just having like this whole kind of water cooler moment about all the parts that made us weep or made us laugh or made us really worried and nervous and what we thought about the ending and how we just wish we could start it all over again. I love that. 
I love that so much. And my guest today is the root of so many of those conversations for many people walking into cafes or getting onto planes and walking down the street, holding books and meeting and deciding to just like dive into the storytelling and which part they're at. Her name is Emily Henry. If you have not read an Emily Henry book, uh, where you been? Because they're everywhere. You've definitely walked by them. You've definitely sat next to someone reading one. Emily Henry is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Book Lovers, People We Meet on Vacation, and Beach Read, as well as her newest book, Happy Place. She lives and writes in Cincinnati and the part of Kentucky just beneath it. Uh, you can follow her on Instagram at Emily Henry Writes. I am a huge Emily Henry fan and could not have been more shocked or surprised or just delighted and slightly, you know, nervous and sweaty at the thought, the fact that she actually was a fan of the show that I got to work on. She happens to Emily happens to be a Vampire Diaries fan, which we talk a little bit throughout um, our conversation about why and, and when she started watching the show and how it was a part of her own discovery of storytelling and how she would write and tell her own stories in her novels. I truly am such an Emily Henry fan. And, and if, again, if you have not read any of these books, get out there. They are all available anywhere you could pick up a book. And one of my favorite things of reading any of Emily Henry's writing is that it just takes me away to this magical setting and this magical place. And it does feel like a vacation. It feels like a little vacation from my own life. And I become best friends with all the characters in the book. And I want to know them. And then I get to know them. And then I want all of these amazing things for them. And I wonder if they're ever going to get them. And that is the power of Emily Henry's writing and her storytelling. And I can't wait for you to hear more about her writing um, and storytelling from her, from her, right directly from Emily. Oh, I've just been so excited and nervous and all, all the things, all the feelings going into this interview. So let's just jump right in. Let's Open the book, chapter one. Here we go. Without further ado, here is my interview with Emily Henry. But yeah, it's very, it's very funny. I have always really loved old places because of their character and their charm. And like one of my favorite things, I lived in Atlanta when we were filming Vampire Diaries, and I had moved into this three-story walk-up, like this super old building, and I lived on the top floor. And my favorite thing was that when it would rain really heavy, I would have leaks. And I'd, so I would just like half asleep go and put on my pots and pans. And I even memorized where the water would leak. Oh and I would have gosh. like the best night of sleep just listening to the little like drip drop yeah. into the pots and pans. And of course, that's like a total health hazard, like right. such a safety hazard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just it's like, like <laughs> dripping through layers of like lead yes. paint yes. and asbestos. Yeah. You're oh, like, yeah. Mm. And I'm like, mm, but it just sounds so delightful. It's yeah. nature's sound machine. Um, but so I this is the first house that I've purchased all on my own. Yay. And I just moved in. Thank you. But it is I just fell in love with it. And because it is very whimsical. Yeah. And it's almost 100 years old. But it's like all the little things like that, you know, the doorknobs are all like 100 years old and have to be replaced. Like day one, yeah. my kids and my mother got locked in one of the bedrooms. And I just was like, all right. Well, um, let's hope that that actually is the doorknobs and not like a malevolent ghost. Yeah, no, I feel yeah. like the ghosts like us so far. Good, like good. I think that they're entertained. They're yes. messing with us just enough. Right. But it's even like in the in the house has like this big basement, which I love because uh -huh. we get tornadoes 
tornadoes here. So it's actually like my favorite room in the house. But I didn't even realize that like it's so old school that it's almost like in a traditional cabin where like they where you would like chop a tree at the top and at the bottom and just use like an actual tree stump. So the house is being like if you go down there and you look, it's actually just looks like all these like forests of trees. Wow. They're just holding them. <laughs> it's like yeah. old yeah. like bark, just like barked trees just holding the house up. And it's very funny and romantic, but also comes with so many problems and little things that just keep it's like little fires to constantly totally but it's part of life and it just makes me think of the world that you create and your just wonderful romantic novels as well um which are so rooted in um I feel like it's like reading your books reminds me of the feeling I get when I watch a Nancy Myers movie which I'm sure people have said this to you before because you envision yourself like in a Nancy Myers film, so many people want to decorate their lives like that. Yes. And reading your books makes me like, I want to be at this house. I want to be at that cabin. I want to smell the inside of this bookshop. And, and, and so do you, like when you do start, you know, at the conception of your storytelling, do you, do you, uh, come up with the people or the places first? Ooh, I love that because I think, I think I'm a little bit of an outlier here in that usually I actually do come up up with the places first. And I am hugely inspired by setting. And I think it is because um, I'm a very visual person. And even though I've always been a huge reader, I think a lot of my own sensibilities as a writer really did come from watching movies and watching TV. And um, specifically that feeling of coziness that you're talking about. And also I do feel like before we go any further, I do have to like out myself as like a Vampire Diaries <laughs> super fan. Like, don't be surprised if I accidentally call you Caroline at some point. Totally um, I'm funny. sorry in advance. You can edit it out or you can <laughs> just let it be. Um, but but I think shows like that, you know, are the reason that you will just re-watch that kind of thing over and over again, beyond just the the story and the characters and all that, which you obviously get attached to as well, but is this sense of place having such a strong um, identity and feeling so real and so, um, familiar and nostalgic. And like, you just, when you're having a hard day or when the seasons change and it's like fall or it's summer, it's spring, whatever, you have those things that you crave where you feel like if you immerse yourself in this kind of story, it just pulls you back into that feeling you had the first time you experienced it. And I think the reason that we love Nancy Myers so much and the reason we love Nora Ephron so much is because they do use this really strong sense of place. And so you love the story, you love the characters, all of that, but you also just feel like, oh, this story is a place I want to go back to. Mm-hmm. And when you know when you're immersed in it, you're like, I'm on my little vacation. I'm having my coastal grandmother moment, or I'm in 1990s um, uh, Upper West Side and, you know, having my coffee under the the changing um, leaves and all of that. So I, yeah, I'm hugely inspired by that. And I'm hugely inspired specifically by the change of seasons. And um, I am based in Cincinnati. So, you know, not to far from you. Right now I'm actually in Oregon to see family, but I'm based in Cincinnati. And so the seasons are this really important timekeeper for me where when one is ending and a new one's beginning, it always does sort of supercharge me. And every time I feel like I'm kind of getting to a 
little flat line in my life of being stuck or um, bored, (laughs) that seasonal change is so inspiring and it always makes me want to write. It always makes me want to work because, you know, you get that feeling in your body and you're just like, oh, it's, it's spring and I know what spring feels like. And I think, I think as artists, so much of our job and so much of what um, turns us into kind of like working artists is that we tend to be really observant people. And so everybody knows those feelings, but I think a lot of artists notice them a little bit more in the moment and kind of categorize things in their mind and, and are always constantly making these little notes. And so then when we bring a story to life, you know, as a book or a movie or show or whatever, the reader, the viewer, they recognize all of those sensations and all of those feelings as things that they've experienced, even if they'd never really put it quite into words. So for this one, for Happy Place, it was like Maine had always loomed so large to me as this really idyllic and kind of like spooky <laughs> literary place. And I I felt like I knew what kind of story would would come from that world. And so it all kind of, you know, develops together. But a lot of times it is that setting is the first thing. And, you know, with my second book, uh, People We Meet on Vacation, having that, um, there's a lot of different settings, but the main setting is Palm Springs. And knowing, you know, if I'm putting a book in Palm Springs in the summer, it's going to be so, 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 so hot. (laughs) And it's going to be this pressure cooker situation. And I thought, I know exactly what kind of love story that lends itself to, because the setting is just sort of... um, an extension of what's going on within the the emotional arc and heart of the book. It's so funny to hear you talk about seasons and how and how much they mean not only within your writing but also to you as a writer. That was something I was missing in Los Angeles. I, I went I moved back there and was there for four years. And now being in Nashville, I like it has been the seasons have been healing to my own personal experiences in the last two years of living here. Yeah. And, you know, even I, I found myself in a rental home and had been recently separated. And I just remember sitting outside and it, it in this like, you know, rental home I describe, I've described on this podcast as like this magic house that kind of became yeah. this like, you know, aviary to me in a sense. And, and when I first went there, it was the dead of winter. It was cold. All the leaves had been off the trees for so long. And it was so wild one day, you know, to look up and, and, you know, feel, you know, you know, where am I? Like, is there any movement? Am I going to be stuck in this forever, this feeling forever? And to look up and see like a few green leaves start to sprout from the tree (sighs) and just be reminded, oh no, the passage passage of time is here and it's happening and I'm in it and I'm walking through it. And, and that seasons are such a barometer for that. And they really are. Yeah. I feel like they're a really good reminder of the rhythm of life because it's, it's so easy to stagnate or to think that you're stagnating even when you're not, because it's like, I don't know, we're such, we're part of such a hustle culture where it's like, if you're not seeing big visible changes, you, it's so easy, easy to feel stuck. And it's interesting how just having that visual representation of the passage of time, I do think causes some kind of reflection where you're like, it's not, it's not like, oh, I had this huge goal checklist that I've been marking things off, but you can really just see even the small gradual changes that happen 
you know, in your, in your own mind and heart. And I I'm so with you. I, my family's originally from Southern California and I grew up mostly in the Midwest, um, in Ohio and Northern Kentucky, and they always wanted to get back to California. And it's interesting because I love California, but I never had that impulse because I love the season so much. And I find them like I said, just so inspiring on every level, creatively and emotionally. And I think, you know, like we talk about like seasonal affective disorder, we're usually talking about the winter, which is definitely real. But even in the dead of summer, I mean, I'm sure it gets so hot where you are too. It's like, and so humid. And there's still that relief too of of the beginning of summer, it's hot and sticky. And all you want to do is be outside and like drink something cold, get in a pool. And then by the end of the summer, you're like, dear God, I would do anything to be cold. And then fall comes. And it it's just a good reminder that there's there is a season for everything. And even, you know, you were talking about um your your old place in Atlanta and having the the leaky roof and and having this romantic memory of of that special, this place that's your place and it's not perfect. And it's, it's <laughs> technically crumbling, maybe yeah, a little yeah. bit dangerous, <laughs> but it has such a, a special meaning to you and such a special memory. It is funny that the way that there, our surroundings kind of become uh, like the places we end up, like what they teach us about and like what, how they become a reflection of ourselves too. At totally. Time. Well, and it's because you, uh, because of how you see it too, because you know, yeah. like if you, you, you could be in that exact same situation and it turns into a stress comedy. It's like uh, the money pit movie where it's like, everything is <laughs> horrible. Um, or it can be so cozy and romantic. And you're like, you know what? I didn't have as much then. And I was so happy because I was, you know, whatever it was, whatever it was about that apartment and that season of your life, you can look back and and the way that you were seeing it um, says so much. You know, there, I, I, even just like thinking back to the things that you do when you're young and broke that you're like never again. But at the time, like I, I, I once took an overnight bus um, to New York and it was like, or something. And there was definitely a reason it was $60. It was like a 25 hour drive somehow. Um, and at the time it was like this fun adventure. Now I'm like, I would never do that again, but I'm so glad, I'm so glad I did that. And I think so, so much of why even my books and other people's writing, whatever can connect with someone is, is the, is those little imperfections that actually stick with us more than, um, what's right about a situation when, when, when those little imperfections have, I don't know, just like a special, a special value to you where you'll, you'll look back on a certain season of life and those little markers of how far you've come are there, but it's also like how little we need is, you know, sometimes that's like a good reminder of like, you don't, you don't need much to be happy, you know? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I mean, obviously you write so beautifully about love and the first love story we really see comes from the people who are raising us and, and their, you know, how they teach us about love and the language of love. What was your childhood like? What are your parents like? You know, were you always a reader? Were you always in love with love stories? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was always a reader because my parents were huge readers. They are such story people. And when we were kids, so I have two older brothers and my parents have been together forever. They actually, you know what? Let me think about this. They've been together since they were um, 17 and 19. They got married when they were 17 and 19. Wow. wow. I know. And 17. I know. I know. I'm Different time. Different, different time. Different yeah, time. And I think even at the time, people were like, what is going on here? But my mom was um, sort of like a surprise baby and her parents were just sort of like, well, we're done being, <laughs> being parents. You want to get married? Sure. <laughs> Go for it. But yeah, they so they, they are now in their mid 60s and they've been together since they were seven, you know, they've been married since they were 17 and 19 and they're huge readers and, um, big softies. Like they're, they're readers, not in the way of like, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of different kinds, kinds of readers, but they find purpose, I think in stories. That's what they love most about them is kind of like what they can teach us about humanity and, and hope really like they're you know, they're really into like, they love the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) They love anything that's just really about friendship (laughs) and like redemption. It's not all just like outliers and the intellectual, you know, like being able to be at a dinner party and be like, have you read this study on this book and novel? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like they want to cry because they're happy. And so (laughs) they really, you know, kind of force fed us that sort of thing growing up. But it really was a really sweet childhood because my, my favorite thing to like tell people about is that when we were kids, every night they would read to us and they would sit at the end of the hallway between my room and my brother's room and, you know, with like a pillow and they'd, and they'd read aloud to us and while we were kind of falling asleep. And my dad would do like all the voices for all the characters. And, um, he still reads, reads to my mom sometimes when they're going to bed and does the voices for her and just, just very sweet. But also something that I really, really, really appreciate about them that I hadn't spent a ton of time thinking about until I wrote this specific book, Happy Place, was that they are good at arguing. And when I was a kid, you know, every every couple argues, whatever. 
but I never associated arguing with, uh, insecurity or unsafe. Like I never felt unsafe when they were arguing. They were never cruel to each other and they never called each other names. There was always respect. And, you know, even when they were really annoyed with each other and there's like kind of a, a running family joke about how whenever we'd go on these like family road trips or whatever, we'd all pile in the car at like 4.30 in the morning to drive to Florida or whatever. And the first 15 minutes of the trip would just be miserable. My parents would be bickering and they'd be so annoyed with each other. And my brothers and I would be like in the back seat, just make it stop. Um, so annoyed. And then, you know, we'd, we'd finally like get out of the neighborhood, get out of town and my parents would just kind of like breathe a sigh of relief. And my dad would be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. Oh. And then he would be like back to us all trying to sleep. You guys, your mom is a, is just great. She's just the best. <laughs> and, and it was so annoying. I'd be so impatient with this whole thing that would happen on every single trip, basically, where everybody's just impatient and grumpy and whatever. But it taught me that arguing is not um, yeah, it's not scary. It can be safe. It can be something, um, it doesn't mean that your, your relationship's going to end necessarily. It doesn't mean that this person hates you. It doesn't mean that they're about to be cruel. I mean, certainly that happens for a lot of us in arguments. You, you really learn how a person feels about you, what they're willing to do when they're upset, all of that. But with, with that specifically, it was just really, I think just one of the most important lessons that they taught me was what it looks like to argue safely and also to apologize, like constantly apologizing. Apologizing was not an issue um, that either of them seemed to struggle with. And now I catch myself doing that all the time. Like if I'm in, you know, in a terrible mood, I hate to be this stereotypical, but it's like usually I'm PMSing. I'm being such a little biatch, I'll say. And then I like <laughs> leave the room and come back and I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> like batting my eyelashes. Like, I know I'm being horrible. And at, upon further reflection, I am the problem. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I, I really, really appreciate that about them. But what's beautiful is that's the most important part of story is conflict. Like yeah. that, it, it's the most important part of storytelling. And so the fact that you had kind of this front row seat to a really healthy version of that, which makes me realize why, the conflict is so beautifully written. Yeah, I, I can see, you know, why I enjoy the conflict in your writing Thank because you. it's, um, it does feel safe. You know what yeah. I, it's not, and it doesn't feel like being, it's not conflict for conflict's sake. It's not just to like ramp up the story. It's not being used haphazardly. It is, um, just part of human, like the way that we connect with one another, yeah. like anyone who goes like, Oh, you, like, to never see anyone argue is just as unhealthy as seeing totally. people argue constantly. Yeah. I feel like when, when you're not arguing, you're usually just ignoring your own needs and that's eventually going to, <laughs> it's going to blow up eventually because you can't do that as much as I think a lot of us would like to avoid all confrontation, all conflict. You, you can only suppress yourself for so much for so long. And, um, and yeah, it'll, it'll make you sick. It'll make you sick. It'll make your relationships, your friendships sick if you choose to, to do that. And I also think that 
it keeps you from true intimacy. And I think it's as scary as it is to fight. And it is terrifying. Like, I, I don't feel like I have had that issue in my romantic relationships because I had that modeled to me. But in friendships, I find it so terrifying to say no to anyone, um, to let anyone down, to even like disagree with people can be so scary. And you're, the fear is that like, well, when I do this, when they see this part of me, like, will they still love me or does the relationship end there? And that that's terrifying. So I'm not trying to downplay that, but I think to have true intimacy with people, which I do think is kind of the point of being on the planet, you have to let them see you. And if they see you and they won't accept you, that's awful, but it's like, well, you weren't that close then, you know, they, you didn't have what you thought you had there. Um, so something I feel like I'm constantly working on, I feel like that, that people pleasing tendency to just pretend everything's fine or will it to be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That is the, that is basically almost every conversation with my therapist at this point. Yeah. I'm like, but I can, yeah. but I can make it work in my head to be exactly. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, my gosh. just what about being yourself? And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. I don't know how that's going to go. That's I know. Scary. It's so weird. It's so weird. And, and I know that, you know, I know everybody is different, but I do feel like I've been having this conversation with so many women specifically. I feel like every single woman I'm close to is like, yeah, I'm a people pleaser. Um, I'm, you know, I fundamentally struggle to, to, to just be like honest because I, I just need everyone to be okay. I need everyone to be okay. I need everyone to be okay with me. Like, it's weird when you think about how scary it is for someone to be mad at you, even like a dumb kind of mad where, you know, it's not going to last. It's like, why is that so terrifying? Why can I, I can't live with that disquiet. Yes. No, it would keep me up for like, that's probably been something I've struggled with in so many relationships and not just like romantic relationships, familial friendships, anything is letting something just sit for a minute. Like I, if something is up, I want to talk about it right then. Totally. Like if someone is like, I need, I need some space to kind of figure out how I feel. That is like my kryptonite. I suddenly feel (laughs) nauseous. Like the room starts spinning and I just want to like, and I just collapse into a ball frozen in time and until I can actually get to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing you are also not a fan of that text message. That's like, would you be able to talk in three days? <laughs> and you're just oh, like, um, no, because I'll be dead by then. <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> yes, I will. I will come up with every single possible scenario yeah. as to why you hate me and all the different right. ways in which you hate me and totally. how I disappointed you and let you down yeah. and how I should just like never speak to you again. And you know yeah. what? You don't even have to have the conversation because I've already had it with myself. So we're done it. now. Yeah. And then you get we're to done. the point of you're like, I guess, you know. I guess I could just like move to this. For some reason, my brain is always like, I could just move to the middle of nowhere and just know <laughs> no one. Myself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I think about banishing myself all the time. I'm like, yes. don't worry, guys. I will I remove myself from the situation. Oh so my easily. Gosh. That is so real. Banishing, banishing. And also there has been the thing. So I don't, I don't have kids yet. I know you've got kids. Um, there have been times where my husband and I have been like worried someone like a group, you know, a couple of like a couple were mad at us or something. And we've just been like, no kidding. This is so, so unhealthy, but we've just been like, well, should we start having kids now? Like now, because we're like, <laughs> 
you know, our, I think our friends are mad at us, but maybe we could like make some new <laughs> make friends. Your own friends. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then we can banish the whole family. And it's like, you know, we have enough people to like play a board game. Yep. You know, you can all just start wearing like white linen and dancing yes. in a field and be like, we'll just yeah. start a cult. We'll yeah. start a cult guys. It, Don't worry. What it comes down to is we are starting a cult, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, Get your I therapist on the line. We're yeah. firing them. <laughs> yeah. We're starting a cult solution. We are solution based yeah. here. Yes. Crushed it. <laughs> um, what I also found so interesting researching you for this podcast interview was that it wasn't that you'd also you grew up with brothers. You mm-hmm. kind of have mentioned in other interviews that you had a lot of more like guy friends when you were younger, that you even when you initially started writing, it was more like you were doing like YA, but more mm-hmm. genre based. It was darker. And, um, and then the fact also that you wrote four books in a, in what, in two, how many years? Oh gosh, like, it was in four years, but yeah, yeah. That's it's, still, I think it was in it's three. Still, there was something that was at three oh. years. I, like there was at one point where you just like probably seen amount early on in your career. And so it's just so interesting to me because I, like, there is such a feminine, like, just it, not in a bad way, but in a feminine totally. energy that I love and appreciate about reading your stories, your more recent ones. And so it was so interesting to hear that, like, you were kind of avoiding this idea of totally. femininity in your youth. 100%. You know, I I really hope this isn't annoying how often I'm going to be able to tie my own journey back to Vampire Diaries, but I am <laughs> going to be able will to love do it that because they love yes. you. So, oh, okay, good, good. Okay, so yeah, so I grew up with brothers. I think there was an essay a while back. I forget who wrote it, so I'm sorry that I can't credit the person, but it was called like Watching Boys Do Things or something, and it was about the phenomenon of growing up and being like a girl on the periphery of what boys are doing. So it's like you're at your friend's house and all the girls are just sitting around watching the boys play video games or all the girls are sitting around watching uh, the boys play guitar or like whatever. And you're just sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with this. This is fine. And you really think you are. You're like, yeah, this is cool. I'm, I'm hanging. (laughs) This is what I like doing. I like watching boys do things. I'm a part of this. That's my role and I'm cool with it. And I had great friends, so not to downplay those people. And I did have girlfriends as well, but we were all sort of the same kind of girl who was like comfortable watching boys do things. I mean, I remember one of my current still best friends, they briefly had a little weird fight club in his basement where they were like (laughs) wrapping t-shirts around each other, around their fists and just kind of punching each other. And, you know, me and the two other girls who are there, like taking pictures on our gigantic cell phones, um, in the background, just watching that ludicrousness happen. But so that was where I was comfortable. That was my role in, in many of my friendships. And then I went away to college and I, made friends pretty quickly with a group of girls and the girls who I made friends with were so much more comfortable with their femininity. They were, you know, they were, we had so much in common, but they also just like, were like, yeah, I love makeup and I love dressing sexy. And I just love talking about who's hot, whatever. They were just like so much more, I think like quote unquote, traditionally feminine. We all know that's made up, but, but they were comfortable with those pieces of themselves and didn't think that there was anything shameful or embarrassing or lesser about that. They didn't think that made them stupid, um, to like those things. And I think on sub subconscious level, I thought, well, if I like those things, you know, 
that's stupid because what I'm supposed to like is Quentin Tarantino or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to have like a reservoir dogs poster on my wall. I've never seen that movie. I had a t-shirt. by the way. Yes. Never seen it. Never seen it. You know what? I don't need to. I don't don't think, I think the window has passed. Um, I was entertained by Pulp Fiction, you know, I'm not like anti, but I just, yeah, I'm good. I'm all good. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're riding the same wave here. So (laughs) made friends with these girls. It really just opened my world up. It was so fun. It was so different. Like I have this really fond memory of all of these girls and I being like, let's go to the, the, the school sauna. So we all went to the sauna and I'd never done like a naked sauna before. And I was like, this is just like so great. Like what have I, I've been missing out on this kind of friendship for so long and um, still really close friends with, with all of those people. And yeah, they just opened up this whole new part of me. And what, you know, as far as my, my reading and viewing, it was like, I started reading more um, young adult, which was really geared more toward um, teenage girls and women readers. And, you know, I was in a creative writing program. So I was also reading a lot of pretty dry male, white male writers who I I do genuinely like, but there were also writers that I was like, I think I hate this. Is it okay that I hate (laughs) this? Or am I supposed to think, oh, this is good. (laughs) This is good. Do I not get it? Like that's that's the one that gets me every time where I go like, oh no, if I don't like it, it means I don't get it. Like I have to get it because if everyone likes it, especially if all these dudes think it's like cool and intelligent, then like I'm missing something. Right. And I must be stupid. Just having an opinion of being like, right. no, it's not that great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think like the first piece of media that I feel like was so oriented toward women that I got like really sucked into was True Blood. And my friends and I were obsessed with True Blood. We were like, this is so fun. It's just fun. It's fun and it's out there and it's campy and it's delicious. And every single person on this show is gorgeous. And then we caught up on True Blood and I was like, you know what? You know what might scratch that itch? Vampire Diaries. (laughs) One episode in, just absolutely hooked, texting my friend being like, you have to watch this. So fun. And I was taking like a novel writing class at the time that I it was like my senior year of college when I started watching Vampire Diaries. And I thought that the writing on that show was so brilliant because it was so emotional. Every single episode I feel like ended on a cliffhanger and even like the commercial breaks were so good about ending on a cliffhanger. And then like when scenes were cut, you never got the like unnecessary stuff. Like there would, there would be the moments where it's like, well, we have to explain to someone who's just tuned in what a humanity switch is yeah. very quickly. <laughs> yeah. The, without streaming, there was just like, yes, the, the exposition was just necessary at those. Yeah. Those you times. had to tuck yes. that in really discreetly, <laughs> just being like, well, ever since Stefan flipped his humanity switch yeah. and killed the entire town of mystic, whatever, but it would be so quick. And, and you wouldn't get all this unnecessary stuff where it's like, okay. And, and, you know, I was a new writer, so you wouldn't get stuff like, okay, now they're driving in the car. Like it really taught me so much about, thought it taught, it taught me so much about pacing and so much about emotion and about emotional arcs. And so I, for my novel writing class, wrote this kind of like paranormal romance. It was kind of based in um, Norse mythology, but it was truly like so influenced by Vampire Diaries and True Blood and just that like fun, emotional, dramatic, um, quick paced writing. That was like actually the book that a couple of years later after heavy editing ended up getting me my agent, even though we did not end up publishing it. But even then, even so the books that I moved forward with in YA were a little bit darker and a little bit less, you know, of that flouncy, fun, fizzy, like thing that we're talking about in my newer books. 
But the thing that got me my agent really was even kind of leaning into that while doing this other genre. So yeah, it was like a whole journey and like those years with that new group of friends and finding finding media that I loved and books that I loved, all of that. It made me really unapologetic about what I liked. And I would notice when I was talking to someone who was still insecure about what they'd like. Like I remember having a conversation with someone being like, it's so dumb, but I love Pretty Little Liars. And I was like, it's not dumb. It's bonkers, but it's great. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Let me explain why you like this and why it's great. And also there, it just doesn't matter what anyone else thinks if you like it. But yeah, I mean, it was so freeing. And now I feel like so much of my job is just sort of like promoting romance as a genre and being like, it's okay to like this. And I think people, I think Gen Z really knows that, which is something that I love about them. They're just Mm -hmm. out there on TikTok sharing like their favorite sex scenes and making faces and fanning themselves. And I'm like, I would have died (laughs) at that age. I would have died. I would have had to drop out of school and banish myself. If somebody knew that I was reading a sexy romance, I would not have been able to handle it. And I love that they're just like, why would this be embarrassing? This rules. Yeah, no, I can't even imagine. I feel like it would have been how many TikToks of like, if now and then would have come out in like where like there was a social media generation of just like how many people would try to like slow like try to like do all the Devin Sawa memes and like all the things like all the boys like running after the girls when they (laughs) take all their clothes because I just remember being a kid being like oh my gosh boys 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 Uh, and so true I would never put that on like the internet or for like the entire school to see and yeah these kids just share all their feelings yeah they put it all out there in a very beautiful way this whole concept of I was trying to think when you were talking about this, if like, and again, not to like gender it, but like, we're just yeah. going into some- It's how we're yeah, socialized. We, it's how we're I raised. I was raised with stereotypes. Yes. This is, yeah, exactly. So, but the idea of like, I feel like it's such a female thing of my generation to call something a guilty pleasure when yes. I'm trying to think of like what yeah. men, I've never, that's not like something that men sit around and talk about. Like they should feel that's guilty so because it makes them like feel less intelligent. And, and my argument now is also like this whole, like BS of like the Vanderpump rules was ever a guilty pleasure when I'm like, look who's got the last laugh now. Yeah, guys. look at the best show on television, Vanderpump rules. Yeah. Give them all the Emmys. All oh the my Emmys. Gosh. Here's hoping. Uh, just give them straight I, to Ariana. <laughs> yes, all of them. All, oh and all the gosh. editors and producers who just pulled off a fantastic edited, like, you know, fantastic. season by the skin of their teeth. But but it is, it's so silly that we want to like diminish things that like there should, the word guilty shouldn't be put in front of the word pleasure. I know. Unless you're saying like your guilty pleasure is like you, I love murder. (laughs) You're like, my guilty pleasure is I'm also a murderer. And you're like, well, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Like, you know, we might have to, you know, we'll we'll work on that side of our cult at a different time. You know, that'll be a (laughs) subcult. But if your work, if your guilty pleasure is like you eat chocolate chip cookies, I'm like, please get help. That's, that's so tragic to be like, my guilty pleasure is I like enjoy food (laughs) (laughs) or something that is thought of to be as like super feminine or just not, that's going to like move the intellectual needle of your brain into some, you know, forward societal direction when sometimes like life is really hard. And also the emotional and like the emotional intelligence within the characters that you write, I think are so like that's an education in itself for a lot of people. I think so. I mean, I think I really resent the the longer I go, it's like I used to 
tolerate it better. But I feel like the longer I go, the more that I resent the idea that because something is like enjoyable to read and doesn't feel like active work, you know, it's, it's interesting because obviously social media is, it is this own thing where it like, I am very connected to my readers and I've got like the casual readers who will tag me in their reviews. And I've got like the diehard readers who I feel like I kind of have this, you know, parasocial relationship with, but it's so interesting because you can see someone will tag me in a re- review. That's like, this was great. It was like turning my brain off and you know, like whatever it's like, they, they loved it. But, but the way that they're talking about it is so different than, you know, the, the person who tagged me in a review before that's like, this book made me weep and, and whatever, because a book that's about hope and joy isn't necessarily any less important than a book that's like about (laughs) misery. I think if anything, that's why I love romance as a genre so much is because it really is ultimately about hope. It's like, you know, we're, we're ending on this hopeful, bright note. And we're saying that when we were telling this story, you know, you can write a love story that ends sadly. You can write a love story that ends with someone dying or a relationship ending or whatever. You can do that. But when you end at this high point when the whole world is in front of these people, I think that what you're doing is you're saying that that moment is the point and that moment is what matters in life. And I think it's so easy to feel like the really, really bad stuff in life is what matters, but it's hard to go on (laughs) when you think like that. Yeah. It is a lot more enjoyable to live life believing that all of that bad stuff, it's not okay, but it, but it's there, it's there. And the good stuff is makes enduring the rest worth, worth it. You know, like I think a lot about like, you know, having a pet, having a pet, signing up to have a dog and knowing you are guaranteeing your own heartbreak and thinking that's worth it because it means you get to love. And I think grief is the same way. Grieving, grieving someone, grieving anyone that you've loved it's horrible, but it's also such an honor and a gift to have gotten to love someone enough that you will just constantly miss them. Just miss knowing that they're like on the planet. I think that's says so much about what, what matters to us. It says so much about what the point of being alive is like, (laughs) you know, not everyone thinks there's a point to being alive, but that's my point to being alive is getting to really love people and experience what it's like to really be loved. So yes, my books, I want them to feel like vacations. I want them to sweep people off their feet and make them forget that they're reading and stop worrying about like the fact that the world is literally on fire. fire. Yeah. Like at all times at this point. But I also want it to, when they close the book, I want it to leave them feeling a little bit more hopeful that that their life can matter, even with all this going on, that the the small mundane pieces of their daily life can still be significant. And I don't know, I, I feel like the last few years, especially that's something that I have to cling to all the time is just the idea that you maybe can't make the huge change that a politician or someone else could make, but you can at least put more love and hope and joy and healing into the world and into yourself. Yeah. Well, and also what I love about, uh, you know, I mean, as you're talking about like your, that your books end in joy and hope, but also that the characters get what they want, but not in the way they think they're going to. 
Totally. And I think that that is like the little magic sauce of life. Like when you do reach those moments of hope that like, it's never the necessarily the way you think you're going to yeah. get it. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And if you had looked back, like the thing that you could dream up for yourself, I think is usually not even as beautiful as where you'll actually end up. And I, I love that you that you noticed that specifically because I think that was one of the marks that Nora Ephron specifically left on me as a storyteller. And I, I feel so like probably delusionally connected <laughs> to Nora Ephron where I'm like, we are kindred spirits because she was like kind of this cynic, but she was a cynical romantic. And I really relate to that, to that, the, the feeling that you, you just kind of oscillate. And sometimes you think like, oh, the world's all crap. And, and then sometimes you're like, it's beautiful and, and life is worth it and all of that. And, and the idea that like you can be hurt and let down so many times, but you always find yourself trying to open back up to, to the world. And I think about um, specifically, you've got mail where uh, Kathleen Kelly has the bookstore that was her mother's bookstore. And it means so much to her. And all she wants is to save this bookstore. And then of course, you know, she falls in love with Joe Fox and he's part of this big corporation that's going to destroy her bookstore. And, you know, while you're watching it, if it were written by a different person, you know, Joe would have seen the light and he would have somehow dismantled this huge corporation and he would have saved the shop around the corner. But that's not what happens. <laughs> what happens is she has lifelong friends from running this bookstore and they're always going to be her friends. And she is always going to have the memory of her mother, even though she has to say goodbye to this phase of her life. And she finds a new job where she can find purpose, reading stories to kids at the big evil conglomerate, whatever. And she finds love. And I think that bittersweetness is so familiar to all of us that there's something that is more satisfying about it. Because when you read that, you think, oh, that can happen for me. I'm not going to get everything I wanted. I'm absolutely not going to get everything I wanted, but I might get what I need and I might get enough to make this feel like my happy ending. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The way you describe your relationship with Nora Ephron, I think, is how so many readers probably describe their relationship with you and that they feel connected to you. For them that are listening out, you know, I they they love your characters that you've created. What characters from your books have made the most like which character has made the biggest lasting impression on you? Ooh, that is such a good one. Well, I don't know. I I never know if it's just because it's the freshest for me that I tend to go for the newest thing. But I think with Harriet's, I think with every character, I'm kind of working something else out about myself and I'm kind of trying to figure out so often really how to stop worrying about how I'm being perceived and actually simply be. And with Harriet, you know, her whole people pleasing journey, it was so intentional from the very beginning. I was like, I'm going to write a book about a people pleaser. It's going to help me. And I think really it taught me how much further I have to go with that. But I do think it's changed me a little bit. I've had friends tell me that they see me being less worried to just be like, oh no, I don't feel that way. And and even that small thing about like a tiny, it can be truly, it can be something like someone saying, oh, they love James Bond movies and me being like, I hate James Bond movies and I think they're bad. And he, here's why. And it's not like that they're wrong and I'm right. It's just simply that it, I'm accepting that it's okay to just feel differently about things and that that doesn't make me mean. I'm not being mean by having a, a, an opinion. And that has really made a huge impact on me. And I also think that when in happy place, um, you know, his journey, like with depression specifically, I had already kind of been through my own journey with that, but there's a, a thing that he talks about, um, specifically he's talking about getting diagnosed for depression. I don't feel like this is a spoiler. You can tell he's depressed pretty early on in the book. He's talking about getting diagnosed for depression and he talks about how when he got the medicine, it reminded him of a story his friend told about being asthmatic. And the story was actually something that happened to me, which was in high school, I was a dancer and I was doing sort of like a, a, not like a recital, but just kind of like a pre, it was like a pre-competition display for just like friends and family, whatever. And when we ended the dance piece, I thought I was having a heart attack. My my heart was racing. My arm hurt. I, I was wearing this big sweatshirt because it was like hip hop dance. I was trying to get the sweatshirt off and I couldn't because my arm was kind of going numb and I didn't know what was happening and it, and it finally settled. And, you know, the next week my mom took me to the doctor. The doctor did like a pulmonary uh, breathing test and was like, well, you have incredibly bad <laughs> lung capacity. You have asthma. And my whole life I had thought I am being a baby. I thought 
breathing is really hard when you're exercising and no one else complains and they'll all just jump right back into running the piece again. And I'm over here leaning over and panting. And I really thought I'm being a baby because breathing is just hard. And then I found out, no, breathing is hard for you. You have a condition. And it was so mind blowing that I had been measuring myself against how these other people's bodies worked, thinking that like, I'm just, a whiny brat baby. <laughs> that it must be you. It, it must, must be, be me. You. Like when you can't understand the movie, you're like, I guess there's something wrong with my brain. And it was really the same when I finally got medicated for anxiety and depression. It was like, well, I know I'm high strung, but I don't know. It just was like, oh, wow, life could have been so much easier. And some people are just walking around feeling like this naturally. And it was so life-changing to me. And now I, I get the other two things that I walk around preaching are basically like read romance and here's why, and then like get into therapy and take, take medicine if you need it. Because yeah, yeah it was so, it was so crazy to realize I, I just could have been feeling better. And I thought I was punishing myself by not letting myself, but saying like, you, you should be able to handle this. Everyone else can handle this. What's wrong with you? Why are you such a baby? I was just punishing myself for for not having the same body and brain as people around me. So I love that character so much. I feel like things, even though I'd been through that journey, I feel like things clicked more writing him. And I hope that he inspires people who have been playing life on the hardest setting and barely surviving to cut themselves a break and quit punishing themselves. And make space to be able to talk to their partner about it. Yes. Yes. Don't suppress, don't suppress your feelings to make things easier on someone because that just creates distance and new problems. Yes. <laughs> Which is beautiful. It's so fun. Like the, the, what, how we respond as a society to the brain as an organ, like the way that we respond to any other organ in the body is just with like the most medical science, like, you know, forgiveness, care, like yeah. zero shame. But the, it's wild to me, like th what we put on the brain. Did you ever read that book, Brain on Fire? No, but I, did it get made into a movie? It got made into a okay. movie. But what's wild is reading it because she, like the author, it, it's what happened to her. And so she really kind of tries to understand like how many doctors got it wrong and it is in like, and also try to remember what she was experiencing at that time and how, I mean, there were doctors where she's like, the only thing she could see it was it like, it reminded her, the video footage reminded her of like how people would portray like a, um, not a seance, but when someone's like possessed, like a possession yeah, yeah. and how doctors were like, oh, well, I guess it just doesn't, you know, and, um, and it is so crazy that any other organ. I feel like people want to like understand it and have answers and her forgiveness. Like it's not you. This is just right. a kidney you're sick. or the liver you're or your stomach. Yeah. You're sick. But with the brain, they're like, oh, well, that's got to, you, you've got to figure that out. That's in your skull. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're drawing the line there. Totally. The most yeah, totally. One. That's in your skull. You, maybe, maybe you like caught a demon somehow. Yeah. Have you thought about <laughs> that? Yeah, totally. Totally. That's so real. And I love that it's changing. <laughs> I love that it's changing, but I'm so surprised because even when I finally got medicated, it was so weird because before that I'd been like, yeah, totally. Medicine's great for people who need it, but could not accept that I was a person who needed it. And then when I did that, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was a person who needed it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I've, I'm a big fan of therapy and yeah. realize like how much I need that space in order to 
function as a like friend, partner, parent, and just yeah. like and and like partner to myself, really. Totally. You know, yeah. yeah. Cause you can white knuckle it, but like, why would you? You want to have the best life you can have and you want to be the healthiest per- version of yourself and the best, yeah, the best parent, the best partner to yourself. Like, yeah, why, why would you do that? You don't get it. I, my, my friend, uh, fellow writer, Brittany Cavallero, she was the one who said to me, like, don't play the game on the hardest setting. Like you're not going to win any extra prize. Yeah. Like <laughs> you don't get like an, you, a bonus point. Yeah. And- they're like, you made it to the end of your life and you never took medicine. Congratulations. Like, yes, you were miserable, but you did it. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> no one brings you a warm cookie yeah. and like a little crown and a banner. Like it doesn't, yes. <laughs> like, doesn't and if happen. they did, it's not going to probably make up for the yeah. rest of it. So just get yourself what you need and then make yourself a cookie. Well, speaking of the end of life, um, no, but it's just more in <laughs> like, storytelling. What do you think happens when you die? <laughs> what do you think ha- where do we go? Yeah. Um, we'll figure that out when we start our cult. For the cult, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. We'll, th- we'll save it for mm-hmm. that. Um, but what is your, you know, as someone who's been in the world of romance in these last couple of years, what is your idea right now of happily ever after? What is a happy ending? Oh my gosh. It's so hard because I think that a happy ending is also the saddest ending. That's, you know, I think that's, that's the really hard truth. Like, you know, I'm out, I'm out here visiting my grandparents. My grandfather is 91. My parents are out here visiting him. They have their 15 year old dog with them. My 11 year old dog is at home. And, you know, of course I'm missing her every second of every day. And, um, it's just, it's just so life is just so bittersweet. And I think the idea of a happy ending really is getting the opportunity to love someone doesn't have to be like really to love the people in your life until your last breath, like, and you know, the opportunity to more, to mourn someone, to love someone enough that they become a part of you and they change you. So Oh, it's, it's so hard, but I think that's why I'm such a a story driven person is because it's constantly trying to make sense of the way that, that life is, is all things at all times, (laughs) the way that it's like this double-edged sword. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just trying to make sense of that and trying to weigh the parts that are really hard against the parts that are really beautiful. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, a happy ending is also a sad ending. It's so, it's so hard to accept, but I think that that's why when we read things like that or watch things like that, they affect us so profoundly because we, we know it's true and it gives us this catharsis, this safe way to experience that idea that, you know, you've got like flapping my microphone in, in my gesturing everybody. I hope you've been picturing me gesticulating wildly. I always am, but yeah. Yeah. It's, what's your idea of a happy ending? Oh man. Well, I, I, why, as you're saying all of that, the only thing that pops into my mind is the mantra that I've really kind of had to hold on to in recently, which is that both can be true. Yeah. And, and, and being in making friends with that feeling. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And both can be true and, and letting that be a peaceful, like letting that be, but feeling the resolve within that, the resolution within that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I I've been, I think that's the thing. It's so much, that's another reason I just really appreciate pets. I think they're just so good for us. Animals are so good for us. 
being able to have that loving bond. And, and I think it really does help us kind of make sense of existence to have something that doesn't typically have the same lifespan as you, but you go through all of these similar stages. And, you know, if you have like a dog from the time it's a puppy, it's like, it's, it's your little baby. And then it becomes this sort of like wizened old creature. And, um, yeah, I've, it's weird. I, I probably the medicine is helping because I've always had a really hard time with pets getting old specifically and, and watching my dog Dottie become an old lady. I've really been trying to appreciate that and just think like, this is so cool. I get, this is so cool. I get to see her become this weird old lady with all these quirks. And, and now she just like barks when she wants anything, which is like a cool new thing she's trying out. And it feels like kind of an honor to get to be like this doula for this little magical creature who's going through these different phases of life. And yeah, just trying to appreciate how, how sweet and wonderful it is to get to see, to get to that phase, to get to see that phase. But I love, yeah, it can be both. It really can be. I think it was Bonhoeffer um, during World War II. Like there's like, you know, a series of letters that he was writing and, and somebody was basically like, should should we be getting married? Should we be having kids? You know, the, the world is horrible. And, and he was basically like, yeah, like <laughs> the world is horrible. You're not, you're not wronging anyone by finding little corners where you can celebrate. And in, in fact, that's essential and that's beautiful. And I think about that because you have, yeah, you have to find ways to rejoice in the misery. Yeah. Yep with zero guilt no no guilt to the pleasure yes exactly <laughs> you you do your your binge watch of vanderpump yes. rules please <laughs> um well speaking of happy endings i in the, the sad and the joy of it i could honestly talk to you for a million trillion hours and but i would take up your entire day and week and month um so i will just abruptly end the conversation before i just keep asking you millions of questions but emily there's a nice little conversation cool down I like to do with my guests and it's just like five quick questions like the first thing that pops into your mind and it can be a sentence but something that you like Ooh, something that I like um iced coffee how do you drink your iced coffee well normally I have cold brew with um mm. chocolate oat milk like a little oh. kid it's delicious oh. but right now I'm having a pistachio latte and it's kind of intriguing wow Oh, I know. Fancy. Aren't I so fancy? I know. I know. All right. Uh, something that you know. Ooh. <laughs> Gosh, the first thing that popped into my head was two plus two. <laughs> Perfect. That is tragic. But I do. Yep. I do know that. <laughs> it always equals four. It does. I mean, I feel like we're going to find some t some example where it doesn't. You know, I think if you asked like an astrophysicist, they'd probably be like, I can think of an example where that's not true. <laughs> Or like in a the, black hole. the next generation of kids, because they, they, there's new math. This is like oh a thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like all of like they, the way that kids learn math now is not the way we learned math. And then it's definitely not the way our parents learned math. Are you and, just like telling, are your daughters just like, no, mommy, <laughs> like, no, oh, mommy, your, your, your math is not I know. Right. Well, I, I had this with my, with my stepdaughters. I'd like try to help them with homework and I would have to like go in the other room and be like, I know, and just like Google all the answers. Yeah, you're like Siri. <laughs> I know. I'm like, and I'm practically a high school dropout. Like I stopped going to traditional school when I was 16. And so it is just like 
I, no hope, you know, like all I got are street smarts and I barely yeah. got any of those, but I, <laughs> like, you, those are what I white knuckle in life. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I mean, you're like, I can grab the pot and find the, find the drip uh-huh. by ear. Um, uh-huh. but beyond that, I can't even believe they're, they're bothering to keep, teach kids math at this point. Cause I'm like, have they heard of the internet? We don't yeah. need it. <laughs> There's calculators on our phones. Yeah. On Apple watches. There are probably totally. calculators. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, okay. Something that you hate. Oh, something that I hate. Um, driving. I hate driving. <laughs> I'm the same too. Like, even really? If it's, yeah. I hate it. Like I, yeah, I, I'm, I will always be like, I don't have to drive. I'd yeah. rather just sit and be DJ. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I, um, I let my driver's license lapse for so long that I actually now have to retake my driving test. Oh, you really hate driving. Like, I, hate I hate driving. <laughs> and and so now I need to do that. But there's also a part of me that's like, or I could be like a Victorian lady for the rest of my life and be, <laughs> you know, charioted around. Just supporting Uber one ride at a time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sponsor yep. me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I joke. I did um, a week long like solo trip through Scotland, like a road trip <sighs> through Scotland. Fun. And that was like my biggest fear was the driving aspect because it's not only one driving, which I don't like to do. Two, driving on the wrong side of the road, but yeah. also you're in the wrong side of the car. And I just remember getting there at like the Enterprise Rent-A-Car and they just like <laughs> tossed me the keys and I was like... <laughs> why? Like, don't you need to make me drive around the block once? And they're like, no, you have a license. You can drive the car. And my whole (sighs) mantra for the trip was just like white knuckling the steel being like the the steering wheel, just thinking like enterprise believes in me so I can believe (laughs) in myself. (laughs) And now they're like, they put that in all of their commercials. Like we believe in you so you (laughs) can believe in yourself. Yeah. That's so real. But I do think in general, I'm like amazed every time I see a student driver and their head is like the steering wheel is here and their head is like here. And I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure that this ba- tiny little baby is allowed to drive? Um, shouldn't this be a little bit harder for all of us? But for all of us, yeah, all of us. But that's mm-hmm. a whole. We'll say that we'll we'll discuss that in our cult meetings yeah. as well. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> okay, something that you love that is not like family or pets or friends. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, something that I love. I love Lake Michigan. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's like refreshing water. Yeah, it's refreshing. It's very clean. I guess it's like becoming a problem because people brought boats that had invasive species. And so the invasive species ate all this stuff. So the water is like beautiful and clear, but I guess it's not technically good, but it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. We'll just lean into that. Both can be true. Yeah. Both can be true. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. And finally, what's a quirky little fact about you? A quirky. Oh, okay. This is a good one. When I was like eight years old, I think I won nine cakewalks in a row at a school carnival. (gasps) I just kept doing it because I couldn't believe it. And, um, my mom of course was like, well, you can't take these nine (laughs) cakes home while all these other moms are giving you the stink eye. So she let me keep three of the little plates of treats and I gave the rest away. The other kids hated me, but I was like, I can't stop until I lose. This is so weird. You're like, Mom, I'm on a hot streak here. Let's go to Vegas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's hit the craps tables. Yeah. And then my my sister in law um, was looking at my birth chart recently, and just, I don't know enough about this to speak on it really. But she said something in my birth chart 
indicated that I would have random spurts of very good luck. And I was like, well, that's kind of what's happening now. Like, I feel like, you know, this moment in my career feels like random <laughs> spurts of very good luck. It's kind of my like, my cake walk renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Emily, it is so nice meeting you. And I just, it's what a privilege to be a part of your, uh, just reading all of your cakewalk wins right now. <laughs> it's just, thank you for creating these wonderful little worlds that we can all escape to and, and fall in love in. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And truly thank you for the part that you played in my awakening as a writer. I am like, so like truly tickled to be here, honored and yeah, this is surreal and wonderful. I appreciate this so much. And this was a beautiful conversation. This has been a Super Boom podcast hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Mons and Diamond Imprint Productions and advertisement partnerships with ACAST. 